Thank you. Let's give a round to LISD for closing the schools. <sighs> I had to ask Kate this morning. I was like, so um, I know you're going with me, um, but I'm telling a little story about you. So do you want to read it before I do? So about an hour ago, she read through and gave her approval. So it is so good to be with y'all. I missed y'all last week, and I hear that about 50 of you also missed one another last week. So let me just say how great it is to be together. We are starting in this study of First and Second Thessalonians, and this study is titled Belonging to the Day. Now, if you've read through all of First Thessalonians, you will have seen that this title wasn't just made up. It came from the very lines of First Thessalonians 5, that we are children of light and children of day, and that we belong to the day. Now, I don't know where each one of you is right now. I don't know where we're all coming from. But from where I'm sitting, it seems like the world is just getting darker and darker. It seems like we keep moving farther and farther away from that sweet day when Jesus walked on the earth. Yet what that means is that we are getting closer and closer to the day that we will see his face again. And so if you are in a dark season today, you are in the right place. If you are coming in a, from a messy place and messy circumstances, this is the spot for you. If you have it all together, me too, totally. But no matter where we're all coming from, this is the place we need to be. God has brought us together. God has brought us this study, one another. There is no mistaking that. And this matters, ladies, because we are opening up his word and diving in. I pray that when we get to the end of this semester, we will be able to look at one another and say, what if, what if we would have never studied those two little letters? That we can get to the end of the semester and celebrate the work that God has done. That in March, I could write a letter thanking God for everything that he has done within each one of your lives. And does that sound familiar? Because that's actually what Paul and Silas and Timothy had done after they had spent time with the Thessalonians. They wrote this letter to them to encourage them and to thank God for what he was doing. You see, Paul starts this letter by giving thanks to God for what was happening amidst the new believers in Thessalonica. Now, I'm just going to reference Paul going forward when I talk about the author because since Paul was listed first, he, we know that he is the main author. Now, we could call them Paulisti, like Brangelina, but we're just going to do Paul because that would just be a mess if we're not careful. So if you weren't here last week, I want to encourage you to go back and watch the introduction because it gives a background on exactly what was going on in Thessalonica and with the Thessalonians at this time. They were under a lot of persecution, um, certain uh, suffering and uncertainty. You know, they needed a reminder of what the gospel was of who they were and who God was. Now, just this weekend, Kate, who is a dancer, she was um, getting ready for a dance class that she was not excited about going to. Have you ever felt that way, that, that you knew you had something hard coming up and you just wanted to avoid it at all costs? 
Well, so that was where we were on Saturday, and I sat down with her. Perhaps you have had a friend or someone do this for you, but I sat down with her, and I said, hey, I, um, I have a daughter who can do hard things. I've seen her do it, and she's the kind of girl who loves her teammates and wants to do the best she can for her teammates. Do you know that girl? And of course she rolled her eyes and said, yes, I do. But in that moment of uncertainty, of not knowing what it was going to look like for this hard thing in front of her, she needed to be reminded of who she was so that she could face that hard thing with a new perspective. That she could go to stretching and toning class and do ab work. And y'all, there's nothing worse than ab work when you don't want to do ab work but that she could go to that class with endurance and with a steadfastness of hope. You see, and Paul uses the gospel to remind the Thessalonians who God is and who they are so that they can navigate not just the future, but their present circumstances. So that's where we're going to go today. The gospel reminds us who God is and who we are. Who God is and who we are. So let's open our Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. The passage will be on the screen for you, starting in verse 2. We always thank God for all of you, making mention of you constantly in our prayers. We recall in the presence of our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor motivated by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters loved by God, that he has chosen you. Paul is expressing his thanks to God for what he sees in the Thessalonians. And he sees the gospel in them. He mentions an aspect of the gospel in this. Do you see it? Do you know what it is? That he has what? Chosen you. That he has chosen you. This is the first picture of God's, first picture in 1 Thessalonians, of God's initiated love. 1 John 4 says that we love him because he what? first loved us. Yes, Paul is recognizing out loud to the Thessalonians something very important, that he is not responsible for their salvation, that they are not responsible for their salvation, but that they were the object of a one-sided, unconditional, divine act of love. Brothers and sisters loved by God, he has chosen you. You know, this one-sided act of love is a very foreign thing for most of us. You know, living in such a highly individualistic society, we take pride in being independent. We love to say things like, you be you, and talk about my truth. Yet what we believe about what we need or what will fulfill us at the time is a constantly moving target. What will satisfy our needs or our desires starts out one day, um, one way, and then we wear the wrong pair of jeans and are uncomfortable all day, and our needs are different by the end of the day. That's why I wore my stretchy pants today. You see, we believe also that our self-worth is tied directly to um, our ability to function well completely on our own. And that starts when we are two years old. Are you familiar with the phrase, I can do it myself? 
You know, I will go first. Um, I already know Tiffany is smirking back there because I am guilty of I can do it myself on a regular basis. Just last week when we were setting up for kickoff, I was carrying those heavy signs and Rachel graciously offered for her strapping young teenage son to carry these signs. And when she did, Tiffany stopped her. Tiffany said, don't try to help Amy or somehow minimize her strength by offering to help her. Now, we all laughed. She said it jokingly, and she said it out of love, but we laughed because we know that it's true. We love to be able to manage it ourselves and do it ourselves, but the gospel tells us the opposite. It tells us that this isn't about your ability. He chose you based on himself, based on what he has done. The message of love is all on God. So think about a time when you did something really awesome for God. Just, you killed it. You did this amazing thing that you knew he would be pleased with. Can you see that time? Now, I want you to picture God and think about how much he loved you in that moment. You can see him. He loves you so much. Now I want you to think of a time where you completely blew it. You got that time? Do you see how much he loves you? Because it's exactly the same. You see, there's nothing that we can do to make him love us more or love us less because it is a one-sided, unconditional, divine act of love. He has chosen you You know, Tiffany was telling me about this podcast um, that she's listening to that goes along with the book she's reading um, with Dr. Kurt Thompson. He's a gifted psychologist, and I copied what it says about him. He weaves together interpersonal neurobiology and a Christian view of what it means to be human. So he's really smart, and he gets what goes on in our minds as Christ followers. And he was telling this story about a man that he was working with who had experienced some really deep shame, this deep shame that was keeping this man from from moving forward in relationships. He felt like there were certain spaces that he could not address this sin and subsequent shame. It was too much to consider how how someone in his group would respond to that or much less how God would respond to that. He was deeply ashamed of this and so there was this shame lurking in his life and this voice constantly telling him that he wasn't enough and that he had really blown it and he could not have approval or love. And this is what Dr. Thompson says. What he needed, hear this, what he needed was for the other group members to look lovingly at his pain and to help him imagine a more beautiful future. You know, when we believe that our value or our worth is based on our achievements or even our failures, we allow that voice of shame to narrow our perspective to the point that all we can see is our own brokenness. Yet God looks upon us. He looks upon our brokenness, our redemption, and he sees the beauty of his image upon us. He looks upon us and sees a better story, a more beautiful story. And so in choosing us, he helps us to imagine a more beautiful future as brothers and sisters beloved and chosen by God. Sisters beloved by God, he has chosen you. Now, I want you to grab a partner at your table. 
just get a partner real fast, like right now. <laughs> just turn to somebody. Doesn't matter if you have an odd number, do a group of three, that's okay. Choose a partner. I want you to look in the eyes of your partner. Yep, gonna be awkward. I want you to look in their eyes and I want you to repeat after me. Sister beloved by God. He has chosen you. What would it be like if we addressed one another as, hey, Wednesday, my sister beloved by God. Sisters, you are beloved by God and he has chosen you. So the gospel tells us what about God? That he chooses us with his love. And what does the gospel tell us about ourselves? That we are unconditionally loved and chosen. Are you living like you're loved? Or like there's this big area of lack? Do you believe that he chose you? He has chosen you and his power has come to you. Look at verse 5. Because our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power, in the Holy Spirit, and with full assurance. Okay, do you see? The gospel comes to us. It is initiated by God. Now, it's not something that has fallen from the sky, for sure, but we certainly don't have to go out there and create this gospel. It has come to us. But what does it mean when Paul says that it comes not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction? Well, Romans 1.16 tells us, for I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the, it, the gospel, is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. It doesn't say the gospel brings power, It doesn't say the gospel results in power. It says the gospel is power. God shares that power with us through the Holy Spirit to give us full assurance of the words that we have heard. They come together. Words by themselves paint a beautiful picture, but they rarely bring a full understanding. So I remember a time when I most felt the Lord's presence, and that was we were... Um, traveling down Pacific Coast Highway, and I was standing out on this cliff over Big Sur, and I could hear these waves just crashing so loudly, and the sea spray was spraying my face, and the wind was whipping my hair, and the sky was misty, and it just felt like I was in the presence of the Almighty God. You see those words, they paint a beautiful picture, but, but you're not there. You can't feel them, Right? We need the power to come with it. Or think about it this way. Think about another water example. When you are standing on the edge of the ocean and the waves are coming in and going out. Now when the waves come in and you, you first feel them against your feet, you, you feel that refreshing feel that the ocean brings and you feel them come against your legs. That's when the gospel is coming with words and it is refreshing. But then what happens when the waves go out? The waves go out and they start to pull you. It starts to draw you closer. Your feet are drawn into the sand. There is something outside of you that is pulling you away, pulling you toward it, actually. That is what the power is like. 
That first wave is the picture that is refreshing, and then pulling you out is the power that comes, that brings it together. It's like God's way of doubling down on what he has said. It's words, but also with power to affirm that what you just heard is true and from him. Now, it is only the power of God given to us, that his, by the power of God given to us, that his word can truly penetrate our minds, our hearts, our consciences, and our will. And it is that power that brings deep conviction. It is by that power, that conviction, that I can stand and share this gospel with you. You see, this is how clever God is. God knew that somewhere along the way in history, man would blow it, and we would not communicate the words of the gospel effectively. He knew that there would be holes and gaps in what we shared. And so someone would speak out of turn instead of relying on the authority of scripture. And so the gospel doesn't come to us just in word, relying on someone else to fully tell us what it means, but it came to us in power. Each one of us individually have that. That power is that thing that stirs within us and what moves. You see, he brings light to our minds so that we can put the message together with integrity and with clarity. And with words and power together, we can know for sure that God is within us. So has the gospel come to you, not just in word, but in power? What was stirring within you when you looked into the eyes of your neighbor and said, he has chosen you? That's the power. So the gospel tells us that God has chosen us in love and has come to us in power. And it tells us about ourselves is that we are loved and that power is within us. Now, when the power comes to us, like the waves drawing us in, something begins to happen. And that is what was happening with the Thessalonians just in those few short weeks that Paul had been with them. In verse 6, it says they became imitators of Paul, who was an imitator of Christ. In verse 7, they became a model to other believers. In verse 8, that the Lord's message rang out from them and their faith became known everywhere. And this is what they said about the faith of the Thessalonians. Look at verses 9 and 10. For they themselves report what kind of reception we had from you, how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who rescues us from the coming wrath. Now we know about this coming wrath. We have studied it. We have talked about it. The Thessalonians knew about this coming wrath. Either they had read about the scripture, they have read the scripture, or Paul had told them about it. In, second, um, in the second chapter of 1 Thessalonians, Paul describes that this, this coming wrath, it's not this impersonal force, but it's actually God's wrath. It's actually what happens when um, God responds in his righteous ways to man's disobedience. That is what God's wrath is, and, and that's what Paul is telling them about. Um, now, at this point, after Jesus' death and resurrection, their sin is still around our sin, since we're in this age of fulfillment that we talked about last week, our sin is still around. And God's wrath is still around because God hasn't changed. God's wrath hasn't gone anywhere. This isn't a God of the Old Testament who is wrathful and a God of the New Testament who is loving. But what did change? What changed is that Jesus came and took 
God's wrath for us. He blocked the way for God's wrath to come upon us. And this is what Paul is teaching the Thessalonians. He is saying that because of Jesus' death and resurrection, because of his taking of our sins to the cross and being crucified, that God's wrath toward us has already been satisfied by the actions of Jesus. Because Jesus lived the life that I could not live, a sinless life. He died the death that I should have died. And because of that, we can be rescued. So let me ask you a question. If we know about this rescue, why aren't we living like we've been rescued? Why are we still trying to save ourselves, to prove that that we have something, that we, that we have something to prove before this other thing gets us, right? You know, the gospel tells us we are in need of a rescue because we have all sinned. We have all failed, and we all have something, some sense of impending doom upon us. I think the scientific term for this impending doom would be called waiting for the other shoe to drop. <laughs> we know it's, it's out there, Right? There's something out there that if that happens, I won't be okay. Do you see what it is? Can you see it out there? Maybe if um, you're not relating to impending doom, let's use another word. Maybe it's a fear of being found out. That somebody's going to know that I'm just an imposter. You have that fear that somebody's going to really find out who you are. You know, we all feel that way. We all have that something that is wrong with us, that we feel like fools or jerks or failures, and we're all trying to do something about that voice within us. Now, we can each have trauma, side note, that aggravates that voice, that makes that voice a lot louder. And the trauma can make that louder. The trauma can exacerbate that, that we feel like failures or fools. But the trauma didn't cause that voice. That voice has always been there. That voice has always been there saying, you've got to save yourself. You've got to do it yourself. You've got to get it together. If I can just get that next promotion, that will prove to everyone that I am actually worth something. Or when I stand in front of you today, I have 28 minutes to prove to you that I, I am, I'm smart and I can do this and I'm worthy of your trust. Or for an athlete, he has 10 seconds to prove that he is a worthy athlete. Or if I can just get an A on that test, then, then I will know that I am worthy of being chosen. There is always something we are trying to do by living up to a career or an achievement, making enough money so that I can get to the paycheck, or even just making enough money that I can retire securely. Maybe it's that I'm trying to hold on to this certain number of friends, or Lord, can I just have one friend because then I'll know I'm enough. There are lots of ways we try and save ourselves. And any time we look to something other than God to make us feel worthy and valuable, that is an idol. So my favorite theologian is Tim Keller. Because God has given him this amazing gift of seeing the gospel in all of scripture and in all of life. And so I gravitate naturally toward what 
Tim Keller says about the gospel. And a pastor who was reading about him wrote this summary of Tim Keller's book, and I want to share with you what that pastor said. He said, surface idols are the car we have, the spouse we would like, or the hobby we spend a lot of time on, or the extra money we think will make all the difference. It could be keeping the lawn trimmed, making sure each house is all, the house is always clean, or getting promoted at work, or being complimented on having such well-behaved children. Many of these things are good things, even right things. The problem is that we want them too much or for the wrong reasons. Because behind every surface idol is a deep idol, the real need we're trying to meet. Security, significance, approval, comfort, control. And that is what we really worship. That is what we really love. See, when Paul is saying that the Thessalonians turned from idols, He's also saying that the reverse is true. That the opposite of the gospel is finding another salvation or something else to rescue me from what's coming. And when we find that other salvation, then that becomes our ruler. That becomes what we are obsessed with. That becomes the thing that will finally give me value. That will be the thing that helps me feel loved or chosen. It becomes the God that we serve and that becomes our idol. Maybe it's trying to be a good person. Maybe it's looking for love in all the wrong places or any place. Knowing the perfect sports stats so we can look important in a conversation. Did y'all know Sunday night, that amazing game, the two quarterbacks, they were also the leading rushers on their team? Yeah. It feels real good to be in a circle and have knowledge that someone else doesn't have. (laughs) Yeah, that's mine. What about keeping the house clean and the bills paid? What about just making an A in that class? What is that thing? Is there anything that you can think of that if you were to lose it, your life wouldn't have meaning anymore? That after it had been taken away, you felt like you just couldn't go on? Now here's another sign. Take a look at your emotions. In the last week, have you experienced anger or um, bitterness or frustration? Look at that emotion and follow it back down. What's behind that? That thing that you're about to lose? That relationship that was taken away? Good things, but not saviors. Right things that have become idols. The gospel doesn't make room for a false rescue. There is only room for truth. Bible scholar Beverly Gaventa, she puts it this way, Paul's words about turning from idols to serve God imply that faith in the God of Israel, imply that that faith in the God of Israel, who is the father of Jesus Christ, is not an optional practice to be added on to previous values and commitments. One cannot serve this God along idols. They must be put away. The claims of the Christian faith are semi-encompassing all-encompassing. 
The gospel tells us that we need to be rescued from our idols. That we need to stop believing the false rescues that we went to, not that came to us and empower. The gospel says to turn to the Father and confess to him, I have been trying my hardest to control the outcome and prevent the failure. And I've contracted my salvation out to other contractors. The gospel tells us that we are loved, that God has come to us in power, and that there is no room for a false rescue. Out of the awareness that we are loved, we are given the power then to turn from our idols. So ladies, be encouraged today that scripture reminds us through the gospel of who we are, and that is beloved sisters of God, chosen by God. We don't need to save ourselves. Jesus has already done it.